Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In this episode of No Holds Barred, we talk to Nikita, who is a 28-year-old woman who has worked in the sex industry for 10 years. Now recently retired from sex work, we chat about how her experience have influenced the way she feels about the world and the people that inhabit it, how she copes with things that have happened to her and offers some practical advice for men who insist on having objects put up their bum. This is Nikita. This is her story. Nikita, all I know about you is you're 28 now, um, you're Indian, and now I know that you're, uh, you've lived most of your life in London and part of it in Hackney, and also know that you got into the adult industry when you was 18. Yes, yeah. Is all that, that's all right, right? That is all correct, yeah. All cr- good, good. <laughs> what, that, so, so, I, I guess the best place for me to start is there, what, what, that, Eight, you know, girls get into the adult industry at a young age. Of often, it seems to be kind of a stereotype with that industry. But being Indian isn't. Is that? Were you? Is, was you aware of that? What, what was that like? Uh, so I, my family background is like we're uh, Kenyan Indians who kind of had to leave Kenya in the seventies for a, a bunch of different reasons. And um, <clears throat> I grew up the community that they moved to in Leicester is all very close-knit and my sort of like my mum and the, the, us didn't like it very much so we moved to London and I think that's a part of like maybe why I have a slightly different upbringing to other British Indians where we actively moved away from our like diaspora community here mm. so it were, it was maybe like a less traditional British Indian upbringing where we're basically like for all intents and purposes, we're like a coconut family. <laughs> right. But uh, like, my mum just had a jubilee party and was like, like it was like the highlight of her year, I think. But um, <laughs> so, so there, she... there is a less traditional background, I think I've got. Right, because obviously I, I, you probably anticipated that that was what I was going to ask you in that my understanding of an Indian uh, household is, is um, not one that would lead to the career path that you chose from uh, a, a young age. Um, what was what was yeah what was your your household like and when you say uh, Kenyan Indian so, so can you explain that to me what how how does that come about is there a, was there a big population of Indians in Kenya yeah there was um, so 
back here, you know, colonial times, um, when with, with, there are different different types of Indian communities in Kenya or in, in East Africa, but for mine, it was kind of a, a choice between there's no food here, but you can take a boat down to East Africa and build train tracks and there'll be food there. So my family made that choice over 100 years ago. And then um, uh, when Kenya was decolonizing, there was like Idi Amin next door. Um, and I, I think it's just like, it's like su- such a contentious thing to talk about. So I'm going to try and just be like um, neutral about yeah. it. But in the process of decolonization, there was a, a perspective that the Indian migrants living in East Africa were propping up the British. So they had to go. And it was, some people call like East African Indians in the UK, like refugees. Like I think it gets referred to as Pretty Patel's family a lot. I like referred to as refugees, but it's it's like complex. And I I wouldn't wouldn't say they're like typical refugees, but yeah, so that's, they ended up in the East Midlands and then we ended up in London. Um, My sort of family itself, there wasn't like a big, like, I know, it's, there's usually a few generations under one roof and like a patriarch yeah. and we had neither because my my dad passed away um so it was sort of a single mum three kids um wow. and less less traditional uh than other british indian families so. was it was there a relig- religious aspect to you was it, uh, it was there a religious aspect to your upbringing at all or would you would you uh no my dad was very very not religious um but my extended family, so we'd spend summers because my mum's a nurse, so she'd be working nights uh, and she'd be doing it on the trot over the summer to try and like, make money. Mm. So we'd go up to Leicester um, and there was a religious, lots of religious stuff there, but my mum isn't. Um, and I actually came back to, I was like a diehard like Richard Dawkins or atheist when I was a teenager. Yeah. But I've come in my like mid-twenties while I was doing the sex work. I, w- I did come back to religion in quite a big way, and I would like I'd say I'm a religious person now. Wow, so so, so religious in, in in conventional sense or spiritual? Uh, you, I mean, like, you align yourself to a, a specific religion? Yeah, I'm I'm Hindu. Like I, the, I, I know I'm, I'm Hindu purely because it was a religion I grew up with. But um, yeah. I don't really. I mean, up in the northeast, there aren't there aren't many temples here. I think I'd yeah. have to travel quite a while to find my nearest one there. But I mean, I, I practice, uh, like I, I pray and I you know, follow religious convention generally. Um, I don't think you can follow many religious conventions like to the T living in like the UK in 2022. But like, I've, I've, and I follow the rules that like, I think are good because, you know, like every religion, it's got its problematic aspects. But yeah, like I, I think I'm, you know, sort of a average religious person in, current times funny you mentioned uh, richard dawkins because i remember going through a phase like that um i'm 40 but i remember his book coming out and reading it and being impressed by it but the older i've got the less impressed i am with him and and me and his ideas of uh, about religion and and um you know i i feel like he's as at sometimes as um severe in his thoughts and uh, uh, and opinions as the people that he's chastising or, or criticising. Um, yeah, like, you could probably say there's like a, a difference in uh, the harm, I guess, that's being um, created or, you know, formed by people like 
organized religion is responsible for like a huge amount of harm to people and maybe Richard Dawkins less so but he is very he's as dogmatic in his beliefs as the people he's criticizing I guess yeah 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 for sure for sure okay so what so your your dad passed away um and was you very young do you remember him I was 13 I mean that was uh he spent some of my childhood in prison so it was uh about after the age of 10 he wasn't super super present what did he do um what did you want to say well no I mean I was going to have to say a racial slur, but I could just like not say the slur. But so um, he, in his words, also he was a bullshitter, so I don't know if this is true or not. But in his words, someone called him a fat P word, so he jumped on their head. Um, oh. But you don't, with him, you just don't know if it's true or not. So he may or may not have gone to prison for that reason. Right, so he wasn't sure about the um, the, the, the truth. So what did he pass away in prison? No, no, no. He, um, I don't think he was out for very long before he died. He just, uh, he was an addict, and that he did so. It just, you know, messed his body up, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair enough. That must have been very difficult as a thirteen-year-old. Like, yeah, you're, you're super aware. Like even all of that stuff. I know you said that he was in prison. He wasn't around a lot, but it must have been quite difficult. When I guess most of the people, so certainly in. Uh, you know you're becoming an adult at 13 to not have that in your life must have been relatively difficult or did you some 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 young people just just ride the wave and and they're they're cool and they're resilient others aren't where did you yeah oh it it, it basically I think I was kind of going in that direction anyway but I I left full-time education I was like drinking a lot I was doing like anything my little 13 year old hands get my hands on um so you dropped uh, out of school? Yeah. Well, I, I was still in school. I just didn't go. Um, and it ended up in me having to, like, reset a year because I was too young to drop out um, because I didn't get GCSEs. And then I managed to, like, just about get GCSEs in the year I had to redo at, like, a, a different college. Mm. And then I did – I ended up getting A-levels, but I had something like 40% attendance, and they weren't very good A-levels. But I, like – it was, you know, just, uh, I think back then you had to be in school until you were 18, otherwise your parents will get in trouble, I think. Yeah, um, so you was, you was just kind of doing enough to... to yeah, locate. to stop my mum getting fined, basically. Yeah, I get it, I get it. So, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I kind of felt like that my, my entire experience going through school was I just need to do enough to get through this so I just can get out into the world. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that kind of kept me occupied until I was 18. And then left school, knew I wasn't going to uni. Um, it was, I think we were still pretty much in the in the depths of like the last recession. Was trying to find jobs, had no job experience. So it was like trying to find like waitressing or bar work, but because I never worked before, wasn't getting the jobs. Yeah. Um, was the only job I managed to get was like being a charity mugger for like four pounds ninety eight an hour. Um, so these Which, are the people on the streets. For people, our American listeners, there are many of them. Um, <laughs> so these are these are people on the streets that are employed by a charity to try and get you to sign up uh, yes. for donations or 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 to just go on a mailing list and then you're harangued by your phone constantly to try and sign up. Yes, horrible, horrible job. Yeah, that must have been tough. Yeah, because um, no one wants to speak to you, even if it's a very good cause. You don't, you don't want to be stopped by no matter how good the cause. You just don't yeah, want to be have, stopped during the day. Yeah, people have stuff to do, and also you don't, you don't get anything out of it. Like, it's not like we're giving you anything. 
put your money or just they just ask you to give money for you know per month mm. um and yeah I don't, I don't blame people for being like a bit aggressive or mean but it did uh the first day I used to like shave my eyebrows off and draw them on and I like I think I was like crying at about lunchtime wiped the tear away and I must have wiped pretty high up because I went to meet my boyfriend at the time after and he was like you have one eyebrow <laughs> <laughs> you say you was crying is it just because of the, the the stick you got from people yeah it was just horrible <laughs> oh my god I didn't I, I knew I knew it would, would be difficult and awkward but I didn't think what was it you, were you oh uh, I mean I cry, everything makes me cry it's not right, like right. It was, okay. yeah <laughs> I don't think I could do it. Even now, as a forty-year-old, I don't think I could go out there and 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 hold a clipboard and try and get people to stop. Certainly not. How yeah, old was you then? Like, so you were seventeen, eighteen then. So no, I was no, no, eighteen then. Yeah, like, and it's all commission-based as well. So the workers are like desperate as well because you're not getting paid very much otherwise. Yeah. But yeah, so I did that for a bit, and then sort of concurrently had ended up breaking up with that boyfriend who I just mentioned with the eyebrow thing. Yeah, and. um why did, sorry, why did you shave your eyebrows off? I thought I would look better with like little McDonald's arches, but I kind of look like I'm being the merciless. <laughs> Is that a common thing for the girls at your age at the time to do that? To draw, to shave I, them off? Or just you? I, I, I don't think it was that common. I had like um, uh, a quite specific, like, I like I grew up as like a goth. So. Right, right. <laughs> uh and it was kind of part of a quite specific like aesthetic look i was doing right, and i was like covered in piercings and yeah um but yeah so the going into sex work i had um got uh, i guess i guess maybe some background like i from the age of i don't know 13 until 16 i thought i was a lesbian and then i met this boyfriend who was a lot older and then was with him till i was 18 and then sort of after that ended I was like, okay, I'm just going to go, like, explore my sexuality, I guess. Mm. And then maybe took that slightly too far. And then the sort of the next, for me, logical step was... What, sorry, what do you mean like, you went too far? You just put yourselves in situations uh, that you put, shouldn't No, have I mean, I, I was just, like, I was, like, online dating and, like, going on, like, three dates a week. Um, oh, okay. And just, like, doing that for, like, a while. Um, and then me being like, an 18-year-old genius, I was like, why don't I just get paid for this? So I got sacked from my charity mugging job and um, didn't know how to do it because I never met a sex worker before. I think right now with like OnlyFans and stuff, it's like quite ubiquitous that you'll probably know someone who is doing it. But right. I d- didn't. Um, so well, on Craigslist. Yeah, a different world. So you, so you, you would use Craig's, Craigslist? Yeah. Um... Okay, sorry. I'm going to have to explain. So Craig, Craigslist was like... Um... It was a. How would you describe it? It was essentially a list uh, people listing like, like, things like they want to sell. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly like that. Gum, gum tree, and there would be a section on Craigslist. I'm presuming for people to. What 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 was it? What, how would you? Um, so I think they'd actually gotten rid of the adult services bit by the time I got onto it. But Craigslist was notorious for for you know you get your hooker of Craigslist, um, but they had gotten rid of it. So you would use the personal section. And I also used the job seeking section and I, I wasn't very discreet about it. I was like, I'm a cute 18 year old. I will do a lot of things for money. Uh, and people kind of got the gist. Um, but I remember I was like really naive when I started. I was using my um, email address. That was like my full legal name. Oh, uh, wow. Like I was really just, I wasn't thinking a lot. Um, 
and yeah, like some of these situations I've got myself into, I'm really lucky were not like really dangerous. Uh, yeah. Like some bad things, obviously. Like, well, I was... Before before we get into those things, or well, not not into oh, yeah. things, I don't, I don't want to dig down into something that's this isn't about titillation or anything like that. I'm not yeah. I'm not, not interested in that. I, 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 but I am interested in how an 18 year old girl um, makes that jump. How did you reconcile that in your brain, or was there was there no reconciliation? You just think, like you said, I'm doing this anyway for fun. Um, why not? What, what difference would it make? Um, um, yeah, there, there wasn't a real like thinking about. I I I almost didn't even think of it as like labor or job. I was obviously doing it for money, and I knew I needed it for money. But I I just didn't think about this like my my position as a worker in this whole situation. Uh, it was just something I did. I remember like I I was like completely skint the first booking, and I had to go from like Northwest like like Brent Harrow to um, Oxford Circus, and like I still had my student Oyster card, so it was like busting it down there. And was like jittery the whole way because I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. So you get um, a bus to your first, uh, what would you call them, punter? Yeah, punter, booking, whatever uh, yeah. trick. But um, yeah, I just remember like being like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm doing this. But I mean, I, I think I probably got myself into more dangerous situations like off OK Cupid. So it, I guess it didn't. And also, I think I was like. Lot, long relationship had broken up or longish for, for a 16, 18 year old and was just like not maybe there was a bit of like going a bit off the rails because of that and yeah, yeah uh, very soon got into porn off the back of the Craigslist ads because a, a porn company who I know I'm absolutely certain were just like a money laundering operation um, got in touch and like I did a solo photo and video shoot I was like, oh, this is fine. <laughs> yeah. And they they told me how to get involved, like, or how I would be, you know, where to put my portfolio up to get my modeling jobs. And it just sort of was was just like like that. And then I I only did the porn and the modeling until I think I did that for three years in total, and then quit and just kept escorting. What? Um. So so just to take you back somewhat. Oh, yeah. Um. So, uh, so you, how long did it take for it to become normal in, in inverted commas from the point of that girl being on a tube using a Oyster card from college, traveling from Brent or wherever you said, where did you say Brent? Brent? Yeah, like Brent Howard border. Brent, Brent Howard border, right. Um, to, to, to central London, Oxford Circus and going through that first experience to it becoming normalized and, and, and not jittery and you're not anxious about what you're um, about to do it the well the, the anxiety would kind of come in waves um because there'd be times where i'd like i I've got, i'm like an anxious person anyway but like you know i'd be like it would feel like i was on autopilot sometimes and then i i remember the last time i did like i this would be 10 years into working I or no, nine years into working, I like would what I would end up doing for money generally was just like book a hotel for two days, see clients at the hotel, and sometimes I'd be on like autopilot. But I remember the last time I, I think maybe because of COVID, um, and it was like just before lockdown, I was like mm. scared and jittery about it, 
and it was like in you know interesting in my own head that like I'd been doing this completely non-stop I'd taken one month off and like the entire time I was working um and I could still get like anxious about it so you're so the answer is never it never never was really normal it always yeah. felt you kind of always know that like you're putting yourself in like a dangerous situation um especially like you know every so often there would be a story of like you know a worker getting hurt or even killed um and then you're like oh like this is this is what i do i guess um but yeah actually, actually to try and answer like your question properly i think within a few weeks i just sort of got into grips with what i was doing at the beginning um the photo shoots i think took me a little longer to get used to but it sort of felt i think within a few months it just felt like this is my job this is what i'm doing um how how much demand is there would you, would, would would someone would you think the normal person like like say like, like i'm asking you do you think i'd be surprised by the amount of men that were readily contacting you oh yeah like you, I have absolutely no doubt that you will have men in your life who pay for sex. Well, so, uh, so you, you sort of, it's very common, and but people don't talk about it necessarily, but they go yeah. out and, really. Um, I just, you think about just how many clients there are, or if, like, I'm not traditionally attractive. I'm like, an, I think you'd have to be like specifically looking for someone like me in order to like book me and I would get my phone would be ringing non-stop and I'd be like having I'd be traveling around the country as well working like if someone maybe like like me was getting that much demand I'm trying to imagine like you know what more traditionally attractive workers would be getting and the the range of clients as well like I think over my career I definitely saw over 2000 like there's there's just too many when you think about it in terms of like that's one person having that many and obviously can't see different workers or whatever it's not like one worker of 2000 or whatever but like they're just there are just so many yeah and i yeah like there are i don't trust any of the figures uh when people do like try to make stats out of it because if you look at the methodology it's always so like whack and weird and done by people who don't understand the industry so i wouldn't be able to like you know pluck a figure out the air and say this amount of men do but it's yeah you could imagine it's a lot yeah no um and also how open are people about their activities as well do you know what i mean it's not to get an accurate figure it's your your, you have to talk to one i guess you'd go to a number of sex workers and you'd figure out how many people they've visited but the, the punters or the clients are um they could be seeing multiple so the figure is not yeah. it's never you can never get a line under it really it's always it will be always shifting depending on who you're speaking to yeah exactly on a personal level did you was it did, did you develop any personal friendships or actual genuine connections with anybody or or did you shut yourself off to that what how, how, how does that work oh yeah i did um i tried not to but there was actually someone I decided I was retiring properly uh, when I started my degree. Yeah. And I had this like account on this website I used to work off that I kind of like semi kept. I, I don't really know. I, I'm not going to like, double, like try oh, and delve no, into no. myself, like why, no, I, no. why I kept this account. But um, 
there was one client I kept thinking of who I used to see when he, whenever he was in London, like once every month or two, over the course of about four years. And I had clients that I'd been seeing for my longest term regular, I'd been seeing from 2014 until last September was the last one I saw. So like you do see people for a long time and like regularly, but this one, like I sent him a message just to say like, bye, even I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. And then he sent me one back and I was like crying over it. And then I said, everything makes me cry. But it was like, yeah, yeah. this person was a part of my life and I actually genuinely liked them. Um, there are a few like that. And then I also like, I've made the mistake of like dating a client before, which is always a mistake. Um, yeah, oh, no, I imagine no, there being some, some pitfalls to uh yeah or, I mean, that, that's that... me being harsh i think people have had like successful relationships with clients but it's you, you just you, there's so much extra stuff there's like yeah. weird baggage with it of course um but yeah you do like even if you don't want to i think you do i, I would say i hated most of my clients but you do make human connections with them yeah because that's I, I wanted to know the answer to that because pe- people's assumptions about that industry is that it's purely about sex and physical needs of people that are perhaps not getting elsewhere or or um, they want to do things that they can't do with their partners or whatever it might be. And you you never assume that there's an emotional contact. And if there was someone, then you'd just assume that it would be a client becoming um, infatuated or probably to a less extent just interested, like maybe in their, head, in their brains they think that they love. Yeah. Um, but... But from the other perspective, it is it's still two human beings doing something that is even partly personal. It's an intimate act, even if it is a transaction. Yeah, like, I mean, I think from their perspective, it's a bit different as well, because almost every escort I know has a persona. Um, they like they I was pretending to be doing an undergrad degree when I was working and like I had her and I had me who were two separate yeah. people. Um, there is some like maybe a bit of protection uh, where like if I'm acting in this role I can just be whoever I want so I would just like fucking say stuff all the time um, and it you know they can't chase you up on it and I think they they do have an like an implicit understanding that it's not real um, but some of them will like, I mean I've had like a regular propose to me before um, so I think he probably thought it was real but did you have to have like, that conversation with him to say, "Oh no, this isn't this isn't real"? Or how did no, you do that situation? No, I thought I already had a husband. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Sorry, I'm married. <laughs> did, how, how did he take that? I think he uh, he respected it because it was he another understood? man. He was like, "Oh, it's another man," so I'm not going to go on his turf. Um, oh dear. But yeah, like. Um, What's your... Yeah, sort of. Hmm? Well, no, no, sorry, I wouldn't. Cut. I, 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 go, go on. I didn't want to cut you. I oh, I think she's just gonna say it's like it's it's like it's real and not real at the same time. Yeah. Um. What's your opinion of men? Oh, <laughs> I um, I'm not as. I, so I've gone through periods of um, sort of aggressive feminist man hating in the past. But I don't think that had much to do with the work I was doing. I think I had more to do with the like being being in my early twenties and using Tumblr and like having these like really bad politics that came with that. Um, but Sorry, like you now, mean like the the echo chambers of of Tumblr, the the yeah, like the like hor- like the sort of very bad woke 
nonsensical politics. Um, but I'd say like, I think coming out of the industry and like I haven't done a booking in I think seven months now. Um, I have a like, I think a bit more sympathy for clients and a bit more sympathy about, you know, people being lonely and seeking connection. And I still think it's like, a, I, I think it's not a good thing to pay for sex. Um, but it's, it's complex. And I've been thinking more about like, I know like incel culture as well. And it's easy to blame a nameless, faceless man for, you know, politics or actions. I don't mean like the, the incels who are like going around shooting people. I just mean like men who are frustrated that they aren't, can't have sex. Yeah. It's, I think it's easy to like look at them and not try and engage with maybe what they're dealing with or like why things are difficult for them. Yeah, I understand. Well, it's just that they, you, there's always a why for why someone um, is the way they are. And it's not, they're not typically born into that political ideal or their opinion of women in this in terms of talking about incels that's not to say what they're doing isn't hugely damaging and problematic it's just there's always a reason why someone is and behaves the way they do and yeah. um yeah and just like yelling be nice to women is it going to fix any of the, like maybe the structural stuff that they're dealing with or like the like i i, I like i know i use like i've deleted the now but i like i use like the online dating apps and stuff and like being a woman and being a man is very different on there. But like, yeah, to go, to, I guess to go back to like the sex work stuff, um, you don't really know what people's motivations are for paying for sex. And you don't know how the, you know, there's maybe like the more radical feminist idea is like it's all abuse and it's not really like, it's often unpleasant. It's often not very nice, but it's not inherently abusive. Um, but yeah, so like men in general, I think, it's everyone is like too complex and too individual for me to like hate men as a class or like to find them frustrating as a class or whatever because like everyone's just going through their own shit i think um i think it's probably unfair of me to ask that question because no it's it's something i've thought about a lot like um and i think it's a natural question to ask yeah it's just that um you assume given the amount of men that you've um, had experiences with that uh that the largely your feeling towards them would be negative because that's the assumption and that's a stereotype but i agree there's a there's there's no single there's a wide broad church of reasons why one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Um, people would seek out uh, a sex worker. Um, uh, what, but do you, did you ever get approached by women? Was, it, was that much? Did that ever happen? Uh, I saw it... a lot of couples because I marketed as like, but I am bisexual. I marketed as as such. Um, so yeah, I probably just saw like a few dozen couples. And Did I you had feel safer to... doing that. Um, yeah, I I guess so. Like, I don't think you would think it would go like to yeah. You don't feel like necessarily you're in physical danger in if there's a woman present. Um, but sometimes like their their couple dynamics are like a whole other minefield to deal with, and it's mentally it's a lot more taxing sometimes. Unless they're what? like both very Sorry, secure go, in it. Go, what, what what do you mean? Oh, like I've had um. Um, although there was one that's just come to mind where the woman didn't speak any English and uh, the guy also didn't tell me that it was a couple booking, he just booked for himself. So he came in, I tried to close the door behind him and this like woman comes in and I'm just like, wow. Okay. <laughs> and then I tried to talk to her, but she didn't speak any English. So she was like talking to him and he was translating, but they like also seemed, so they were like a Muslim couple as well. I think she was like, they were both from Pakistan. Right, and she seemed like she was having a great time, and I was just like, okay, I guess I feel odd that I can't communicate with her, and I, maybe she feels odd that she doesn't understand what I'm saying, but I guess it's working. But then mm. the the bad ones were like, you know, you know, have a couple who you know born and raised here, whatever, but it would be really obvious like it was the guy's idea, oh, and um, she wouldn't be so happy with it, and you'd have to have to navigate this. Because generally, I will probably like, take the woman's side in this. Oh, so yeah, like, I'd be yeah, navigating yeah. it so she's like having less of a shit time. Um, or if he goes to the bathroom, you know, just check up on her and see if she's okay. Um, but yeah, so that that's its whole thing. But then I also had two uh, female clients who just saw me by themselves, uh, which is pretty pretty small amount considering it was uh, over 2,000 clients in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously not something you'd assume women would do. Uh, not, I mean, stereotypically, you know, if you're just looking at, uh, if you're looking at society, you just assume it's all, all going to be men. Um, so you, uh, so you, so seven months ago, how are you feeling about it now? Like what, do you feel like you're out, you're out and that's, that's it or is it? Uh, I mean, I, I nearly did a booking the other day, but that's, uh, it, it, I had some like other reasons for that. Not like money reasons that I think I was just feeling a bit sad about something and someone offered a booking to me and it was a lot of money so I was like you know what I'm just gonna do it because I feel like shit but th- thankfully he's like cancelled otherwise I probably would have done it but when so you you mean you felt you felt like shit and this would get what do you mean like what, what I, I, I don't want you was... to look too too far into yourself and that's not again what this is about but what wh- why would it make you feel I think I, I think part of it was I felt uh, I was just in a, a situation in my personal life that made me feel like unwanted and unattractive and then Oh, there was a booking and that would have been a very short term fix for that and but also the money would have been nice <laughs> i want a, a student grant um but yeah like i think it is i still talk about sex work a lot as a from a political perspective 
and because I did a lot of like activism before and I've not like entirely stopped but I'm, I'm like also really aware that for sex work activism or like generally workers rights activism you probably want people who are still in the industry to be doing it because they have the stakes are higher for them like I can if I'm getting involved in stuff it doesn't necessarily affect me anymore so I appreciate that maybe other workers wouldn't necessarily want me to be as engaged in the activism as I was before but I still haven't like a little bit I think it was always good to have bodies on the ground but so, so it's still I'm sorry what, what 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 led you to the activism what was what what what, what did you do there because it sounds like um important work uh, so I, I was always like very left-wing and I think the minute it clocked that I was a worker in a semi-criminalized workplace that wasn't unionized it like made a lot of sense to me to like be like well maybe we should try to unionize <laughs> or like maybe we should um the my main thing was was our relationship with the police and the legality um i got i um used to basically live in a brothel uh i, re- I rented my room out it was so expensive that i was like you know i'm just gonna live in live in here um <clears throat> sorry, we got sorry, raided by police Sorry, can I go, go just to take you back? So when you say um, th- this is a house in a street somewhere, yeah, well, it, it was a um, I won't say which. No, it, no, it was no, a no. flat in a. In like, London, I just want to like, yeah, I just want to. Exp- I kind of want to explain how how it was because it's um, a very 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 busy area of central London, right next to a tube station in a flat. Um, in like zone one uh so that's where it was so like you it's, it's just like a um <clears throat> try to try to maybe communicate that like you could be walking around anywhere in central London. and you, you it's like that thing about rats almost like you're you're probably not that far from a working flat really yeah like there are like particularly in like bits of west london are just like escorts working out of apartments or airbnbs or flats everywhere so yes uh, so that sorry no go ahead go ahead oh just that flat was um a these like east end gangsters had subletted a load of uh, or rent a load of flats and were subletting them to escorts to use as brothels um and it was it was something insane like i was paying off 550 pounds a week for it so i was like screw it i'm gonna live here i didn't i didn't have a kitchen because they were subletting that as a room as well or like a washing room machine or whatever, but I was like, I'm paying this amount of money, I'm living here. Um, so I was living in and uh, seeing clients from the same like ensuite bedroom. And we got raided by police quite early on in that. And that made me, you know, I think when you're confronted with it, you become very aware that like, oh yeah, this is this is a bit illegal. Yes, yeah, so, but the legality for that is that you're essentially working. What, no, you tell me, what is the legality there? What, why? When, yes. when 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 does selling your body be a legal a legal thing to to do that, and when does it become illegal? So the the act of selling sex, the act of buying sex, is legal is completely legal. Is legal, you know. So I could take money from someone and have sex with them. That's legal. But it becomes illegal when. So what we would have if they had charged us or if they had arrested us, what it would be for would have been brothel keeping. Because if you have a premises, which could just mean an apartment, where there is more than one person taking money for sex, that's a brothel. Even if 
I'm not making money off the other girl. She's not making money off me. Like if we do, if we do so much as like ask, say if we do, say if we see a client together, one of us takes the money and then we split it in the end. The act of some of me giving her money, even if it's her money, is would constitute me brothel keeping her. Um, so that would be the illegal bit, which is pretty. It's like horrific because it means that you can't have someone in the flat with you for safety. And there have been like cases where like cleaners have been taken to court and stuff because they're handling money and they're in the premises. I, it's it's very very like stupid nonsensical laws. Um, so what when you said you were keeping it, you, you obviously made the logical decision to stay in a room and live in there because yeah. the money it makes complete sense. Um, but it must have been is it was that not difficult because you couldn't leave the room where you had to see clients that you had to live in that same room oh it... yeah like i had like a, a bit of a mental breakdown i had to like move back with my mum for a few months after. i'm not surprised That's, yeah that sounds like a difficult situ- situation it was t- i i think i probably would have tolerated like if i had a flat and i could like sleep in another bed or yeah. um have someone to just leave that room and then yeah and i'd be like sometimes seeing like three or four clients a day and you'd just be like in this room and it was like it's like only one tiny bit tiny window so it's like not that ventilated and you're just like oh man <laughs> i don't like that this is my life right now <laughs> no i understand i understand would you say that at any point during your um your uh your career um that you was wealthy yeah that, that, year I, that one year where i lived in that place um because of the location and because I was having to work a lot to compensate for the fact that I was paying like was 550 yeah, yeah a lot of money um that was the the one time I hit like the the other tax bracket but then after that I it I was just like you know I'm just gonna like work to make rent and have money to live off I, I don't want to like overdo it anymore which yeah, a... sucked when it came to COVID and I had no savings. Yeah, what did you do? I mean, it's not like you can apply for a small business loan or or a bounce back loan, is it? Yeah, I just went on like the doll, but I was not. I was subletting my place, so I couldn't get my rent covered, and it was just like horrific. <laughs> it was just really bad. That's why I made the decision to be like, okay, I'm gonna go to university. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I. Uh, yeah. It must have been hugely difficult. Um. But do you feel like it's a positive thing that you're you're leaving that part of your life um yeah yeah okay um and that so a lot of maybe all the stuff that i dealt with and you're like i mean i'm using a lot of like terrible metaphors but it almost felt like i was like a shark and i just kept moving and then covid happened and i stopped moving and then i was like oh wow i've been putting my body on and my brain under a lot of stress yeah. the last few years and a lot of maybe like not great stuff has happened that I've not let myself deal with which has culminated in like me getting diagnosed with PTSD <laughs> um do you know I mean you're, you're laughing and, and and I understand why because um you know the, it can be a reaction to something significant but I'm and PTSD isn't a joke either is it I and mean, if you have no, been diagnosed not, with not. that you're you're that's something that's incredibly difficult to to um to to, to deal with but I'm trying to, as I talk to you, visualize your life, and I don't. I'm struggling 
to understand in the severity and the, the extremity of some of the situations that you've got yourself in because you can only really truly understand it if you live through it yeah and because uh, and, and so it doesn't surprise me that you've walked away come away from this with um with things that you have to deal with yeah like um i mean i think people could probably fill in their own gaps when i say like bad things happen 100 percent. yeah yeah um yeah i think like bodies can like act like sponges you um may know sponges i'm, I'm doing those bad metaphors again but like the sponge can take so much water right yeah 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 that's good um oh no my therapist actually said it's like um you've got a drawer full of junk and um you just you get to a point where you cannot fit anything else in the drawer and then then you take you take everything out the drawer and it's a mess and you've got to sort through all the mess um I think that's kind of how she explained PTSD to me because I was like not really understanding what it was. Um, but yeah, so yeah, like it doesn't feel like a lot until you like sit with it and then you're like, oh wow, that's like all of that stuff happened. Yeah, you're being you're, you're resilient, and yeah, but you go through things, and you and the human body and its mind is is um, an incredible thing. But there's only so yeah. much, and often when you're going through things, you can kind of compartmentalize a difficult period, and then when you look back at it and go, whoa, whoa, fucking hell, that was a lot. Well, I mean, PTSD is you, um, you, your brain doesn't do the compartmentalizing. So you can't, it's not even like you go back and think about it. It sort of just pops back into your brain sometimes. And then that's what, you know, when you, you get triggered or um, you have the, the the stuff that stops you from living your life, it's because your brain is not, it's just refusing to compartmentalize it. And then it stops you from like processing memories in the future. It's, like, yeah, it's all, it's all weird. Do you find that when you're, 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 it'll be right when you're, when you say triggered, is it like watching things on telly and think things will, will pop up or conversations um, and it b- brings it back? Or are you comfortable? Sorry, are you comfortable talking yeah, about it? Yeah, I can, I can talk about it. Like, I don't know okay. if it's derailing from like what we want to talk about, but no, it's fine. Um, okay. as long as you're, as long as you're comfortable with it. I'll oh, yeah, you. I'm fine. If I'm wrong, I'll just tell you. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I have um, some visual triggers, some like scent ones. Um, I only realised one not that long ago where I was I was walking to my grandparents in like Leicester, and um, I went past a mosque on the way to the, on my dad's side, and then stuff came back, and I was like, oh right, because we'd always drive past this mosque to go to that side's house. That's yep. a, a mental association I had, and my brain has like now decided to like fling a memory back at me. Like it's it can be it can be stuff that you don't even realize that it is. Yeah, yeah, so it can be a bit of a minefield, I guess, some days. Yeah, so like you know, really, like, I managed to get therapy for it, and it's all about like trying to work out like how how do you? I think most people like need this anyway like ptsd or not but like your brain's throwing something at you how do you deal with it to mean that you can just do the rest of your day i i mean i obviously we've lived uh, different lives but there, there are, <laughs> the, as you're saying that there are things that, that my brain was doing to me rather than <laughs> i'm wanting them to happen but there, there's been instances in the past where for some reason i cannot get my brain past this issue and it's yes, causing me yes. sev- severe discomfort and unhappiness 
and I could, just cannot get past it. No matter, I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with it or how to fix that situation. And I, I went to, I got some therapy for it, and it, and after a few sessions, it it fixed it. And now, when I think about that instance, it does not impact me emotionally at all. Like, I'm really lucky that I was really receptive to this form of therapy, but it does not. It's not there anymore. Whereas before, it was so there. I don't know if that's a good way to describe it. It's just there. No, I get, I get exactly what you mean. I, we're, we're still like trying to find the right way for me to do it. Like I've got, um, it's like people have grounding objects, like something that you can just like have in your handbag and you touch it and you feel the texture and you focus on the color or the smell of it or whatever. But like there are, there are loads of different ways that you can that get rid of the intrusive thoughts or the Manage whatever it, is. Yeah. yeah. So what, so what, um, what led you to your university course? Um, so I needed to do a foundation. I always knew I wanted to do um, some kind of social sciences. Yeah. So my my current course, I just picked, I just applied for all of the ones that had a foundation year, and somehow got into Durham without like proper GCSEs. Well, not GCSEs. Oh, I don't really have GCSEs, but I also don't really have like A levels. But like, thankfully, they just like let me in. So <laughs> As a, you're you're a class as a mature student, right? So when you yeah. when you go in, they, they, you're looked at in a completely different in different way. I think, I think, I think you're. I I actually think university happens a little bit too early. I I, I think I, so too. Yeah. Like, did you go? Yeah. I, well, I went to university. I did uh, journalism in um, down in Falmouth, but okay. I did I did two and a half years, and I dropped out in the third year. Um, I didn't really enjoy it. I enjoyed the social aspect to it, but I was also in a relationship, long distance relationship at the time. So it wasn't ideal at all. And then halfway through the third year, for reasons I won't go into, but it was impossible for me to stay there. Um, So I just walked away with huge debt, no degree. (laughs) And I reckon reckon if I'd done it 10 years later, I would have got a lot out of it. But all of that is everything that happens is leads to who you are right now, right? So I'm not not resentful of it. But I think you're just more capable of apply well certainly I, I was more capable of applying myself 10 years on than I would when I was when in my 20s or early early 20s for that matter so yeah. what, what what is it about um what, what how do you how do you see your your next sort of few years and, and, and sort of getting a degree and, and moving on to a degree and what what is it that you have you had any thoughts about your future yeah so I I was picking the degree and stuff with the you know the idea with it completely in mind that I'm doing this to get a job at the end of it so like I mean I probably would have wanted to do like a philosophy degree. Oh yeah, no no shade at people doing philosophy done philosophy degrees, but I was like I want like a a more direct career route. They're expensive so, with no guarantee, are they? So. Yeah. So my um um part of the activism stuff I was doing was when I had stopped doing public speaking for it because I just decided I, I didn't like doing it anymore. Um, I moved to more like backroom stuff. So. I was with some of the orgs I was working with I would just be doing research on like from papers and just like I know putting leaflets together from research from the papers or um you know looking up stuff the government had released and trying to work out how that would affect sex workers so I, think, I feel like we've actually skimmed over that which is which is quite quite interesting what what, what did your activism look like what were you doing day to day um it was it was pretty sporadic but at the beginning, I think there was an element of, um, if you look at me, I'm like, 
not what you would expect like someone who calls himself an escort to look like which i think and the sex work activism does have a um reputation as being something that the rich girls do and of course they want to keep their jobs safe because they're making loads of money whereas you look at me and you're like okay like this is like a sort of a short chubby indian woman who isn't like super posh and doesn't have a degree or whatever it's just someone who just wants to work and live Mm. Uh, so I think the like there's a better um, people are better receptive to it if it's me talking, and this this kind of it's it's if I wanted to be cynical, I'd say it's tokenizing, but I think it, it's a it's a good it's a good sort of activist move, and you know, there was one time I shared a, sp- a space with a transgender man and someone who had um, substance abuse issues. And, you know, this is like the front of people you want to be talking about workers' rights because they are maybe the more more marginalised workers. Um, Yeah, the ones that are going to be most most impacted by... Yeah, and it's... There's one org who, like, always... uh, would, Would always want to have a single mother on the panel because, for me, I think those... If you're looking at sex work law, the first people you should be looking at are migrants and single mothers because those are the... The people who are generally pushed into it out of like less choice yeah um so yeah so i was doing public speaking uh like i did a debate at amnesty international once uh that was horrible um what was it you was debating someone uh so yeah so amnesty international as an international organization had decided to support the decriminalization of the sex industry which is what we want yeah um in like 2015 uh, and they put together this like really like amazing bit of research. They'd gone to Norway, who have client criminalization, and actually talked to like migrant workers who are being like you, you know harassed by the police and stuff. And yeah, really good bit of bit of research. And then two years later, the UK Amnesty, um, a group, tried to repeal that that sort of vote so we kind of a group of sort of like haphazard sex workers scuttled over to like nottingham wherever it was and did a debate so um before the members voted and thank god like we thrashed them but it was just like they called us pimps they um the woman who came up after me was like you're not going to see any women of color on the stage where i'd literally just gotten off it and i'm like wow quite dark skin like you could definitely tell the woman of color it was mm. just like a nightmare. It was like like a lot of stuff just wasn't rooted in reality as well. And I think because these people don't know sex workers, they just have their sort of ide- ideological. Were they con- sort of conservative, right? No, they were like radical feminists. Right, right. I'll get you understand. Yeah, but, so they've become. I think the same with like maybe the sort of fight about, about transgender people. It, there's the conservative right have now have sort of understood that their, their brand is toxic, so they let the feminists do the work for them. That's strange, um, isn't it? It's a, f- a weird irony that you're that the, the feminists who would not associate with the conservative right uh, then are kind of doing their bidding. Yeah. Um, um, and yeah, you get you see them like interactive, but like and sharing money with people who want to get rid of abortion. It's like, okay, uh, I guess you've picked your fight. But anyway, uh, poli- I'll go politicking, uh, isn't it? That's a... Yeah, but. I'd also do like panels at universities that like, you just go and talk 
usually to the feminist society because I'll invite you along. But I think we've had, um, uh, no, that was not else. And then we also, back when, like in the Corbyn years, momentum groups would be voting on whether they would want to support decriminalization or not. So they'd invite us along to give a talk and try and explain why it's a good idea before they'd have their vote. Um, I know people who do loads of work involved with that Labour Party as well, trying to get them to um, adopt a decriminalisation motion to go through uh, to the party to make them like adopt an actual uh, position. But then when I got sick of the talking stuff, I would either do the research I was telling you about or yeah. um, would say, and um, like, just like advocacy, so there were if someone's having trouble with the council like someone's um kids mobility vehicle was taken away so and she was a sex worker so i would just like run the council and harass the council drag it back or um if someone doesn't so it, was, speak. it was like an unofficial union that like you helped them like yeah a, so we uh... are we have um we have unionized now uh we're oh, part right, okay. of two different ones what are they um for? so there is uh united sex workers who are part of uvu or uvw sorry and there is a sex work union part of GMB. Um, and there's probably more that, like, the strippers have got their own union as well. Mm. Um, but before it was kind of the work of, like, organisations. So there's, like, English Fletcher prostitutes and sex workers, advocacy and resistance movement, all do good work. Like, um, Swarm, at the beginning of COVID, Put, fundraised a huge amount of money for sex workers because we're like left overnight from lockdown with like no money like no yeah. income people have kids to feed people have rent to pay so they 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 fundraise like a, a, a massive amount of money and you know dispersed it among sex workers which you know the people who are trying to take our jobs or i say are oh, not mine anymore but the people who are trying to take those jobs away don't think about that. They're like, okay, you suddenly leave someone destitute. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's nice that they're, you know, whatever they're doing, they're not doing the thing that you find distasteful anymore or that you think is abusive, but how are they going to feed their kids? And it's, it's not, doesn't really get talked about. I wonder, do you feel like it is, uh, it is abusive or is it empowering to women? What, what, what is it? Oh, is I don't, it I don't think between? it's empowering. <laughs> Right, I, think, yes. I don't think I don't think any job is empowering. Uh, I think we're we're all. I mean, this is me coming from like being a very grumpy socialist. Yeah. Like we we have to work to pay someone else's mortgage, or um, the the cost of living is going up, and our wages aren't, and you know all this stuff. I, I don't think earning money to live is empowering. Not anywhere. Um, yeah, yeah. But but I also don't think it's. In, I don't think paying for sex is inherently abusive. I think there are a lot of people who, who including me have trauma from it but if you say that every booking is abusive you you take my power away from me to say i have trauma from this instance this thing was rape you can't say that so that was probably quite an aggressive way to say it but like that you know say i'd say seeing four clients in one day mm. three of them whatever forgot about them the day after one of them assaults you not all, all those four things aren't the same. Like the one is definitely, you have to be able to identify that this was the thing that was that, that was terrible, and I need to know how to sort this in my brain. Otherwise, yeah, if you can say it's binary, all abuse, yeah. then yeah, yeah, it's it's all shades of whatever. Like I've had a guy, like I was pretending to do a philosophy degree. I had a guy turn up 
and just tried to talk to me about philosophy for an hour. Like, well, that was that what he's saying. Very... Yeah, uh, I have the feeling he just turned up and didn't fancy me and he didn't want to waste his money. <laughs> um, but yeah, like there's a whole range of, you know, <laughs> like, I had to... So he could have gone in and say, actually, no, this isn't right. I'm walking away or, and I'm sure I'm presuming that that you would find that I don't know how you'd feel about that actually like if someone turned up and thought no but he you think that he, he, he was too polite to do that so he just talks to you about philosophy I think that, so um, that's I don't so, know. so English that's such an English <laughs> thing to do isn't it I know but you would get guys who, who turn up they kind of look at you and they go oh I forgot my wallet in the car and they never come back right so there are uh that's generally what happens if a client doesn't fancy the worker or if it, yeah. you get guys who just want to like who have they have, not an exhibitionist one, the other, the other opposite one, um, where they just want to like come in and have have a look at the flat and like have a look at the girl, and then they just go. Um, but yeah, there's all sorts of like dumb stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like there's it's all there was one guy who I just like put stuff up his butt for an hour, like they what, it's all what? completely. So just that was it. I mean, this this yeah, the stuff came out the butt obviously, but like it's putting <laughs> putting stuff up there. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, that was just his thing. Yeah, I mean, good for him, I guess. Um, yeah, no, fair, fair play. If that's if you found a way to, you know, do it and no one's getting harmed out of it, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, just make sure you you sort of put it in a condom so you can yank it out again. Because <laughs> I'm not taking him to A and E. Good to know. Good to know. I'll bear that in mind next time. <laughs> um, yeah, like yeah, you can't say it's, yeah. It's it's. I think it's ridiculous to say it's all abuse because it's not like some is definitely uh... Nikita I just want to give you because uh, I feel like we've, we've come to the end but I don't want to take away an opportunity to if there's anything you want to say that you haven't had the opportunity to um, yeah that's uh, but if there isn't then I feel like we've reached the end of the conversation yeah I think we're good okay good stuff thank you so much um, thank for... you for speaking and being so open and stuff, and that's what this fundamentally this this um, series is about: is talking to people who've led lives that aren't typical, and that you can't. Um, there's assumptions can never be made, and it's really important to just talk to people rather than um, have cast iron ideas about what uh, a, a person is or, or because of a label that's been placed on them. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nikita. Okay. Cheers. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. 
removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.